Welcome to another episode of Brew Facts. Tonight we have Brad and Seamus with Alternate Media. They're going to be joining us to talk a little Messianic Judaism. Make sure you stick around. It's definitely going to be a fun one. Welcome to the Brute Facts Podcast with your host and everybody's favorite Christian, Eddie Kroon. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel and hit that notification bell for future content. Hello, hello. Welcome, Brad, and welcome, Seamus. Ah, thank you. It's great to be here, Mr. Eddie. Yes, yes, I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> I say, we were waiting are... on this. <clears throat> I know that's right. How are you guys doing tonight? Not bad. I'm going to wave at you with that good hand. <laughs> <laughs> with the good hand. Do, do, we, do we have the beers? Everybody got the beers? Oh, yeah. yep. Okay. I, uh, yes. Forgive me, I have to reach mm. my good hand. So I took the splint off so you can... Oh, nice. That what in the world did you do to your hand? Oh, that's what uh, that's what it looks like when a tank hatch comes down on your fingers. Oh, no. <laughs> so are you a CDAT? Uh, uh, what? <laughs> okay, I can't. Never mind. I can't say it. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a Marine in the reserves currently. Oh, and, uh, okay. Combat engineer. Mm. Um, Stands for crazy dumbass tanker <laughs> no that's definitely not me i'm uh i'm more the crayon eating ground guy <laughs> my uh, uh former brother-in-law is uh i believe he was a tanker tank commander and uh he said that's what they called them all the time were sea dads and i was like all right cool nice name that's <laughs> uh, actually my first time hearing that but yeah, I, I don't actually talk with the tank guys very much ever. So uh, we actually just the Marine Corps totally got rid of tanks recently. So oh, I think we, we got a Navy guy in the house too. Captain Dadpool's in there. I think he came to give you some trouble. He was oh, army. Hey. Yeah, I thought he would. Yeah, he was army. I thought. <laughs> yeah, he's infantry army. Oh, that's right. He was army. Eleven Bravo. He's, he's going to be so mad. <laughs> and if he's if he's watching, I I'm your equivalent of a twelve Bravo. Sorry, Dadpool. That was Seamus's fault. Um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> so it's no secret that you guys are uh, not typical evangelical Christians, given today's <laughs> idea. Uh, so would you identify as Messianic Jews? Uh, it, 
It usually depends on the audience. I say this a lot um, because to some people, the term Messianic Jew specifically means uh, a Jewish man who believes in the Messiah. And um, I speak for myself here as Brad actually, he actually does have a a drop of Jewish blood in him somewhere, but I do not. I'm 100% Irish. (laughs) I have zero Jewish blood in me at all. Uh, And so sometimes for the sake of clarity, I don't like using that term so as to not mislead anybody into thinking that I'm uh, yeah. Jewish by birth or, or anything. Uh, but generally speaking, our practice would be Messianic Jewish as typically referred. Yeah. yeah that, go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. I was going to say the, the only thing I really have to add to that, <clears throat> um, which the, the little bit of, of Jewish uh, Jewishness that exists in my DNA is, is not enough to even cl- qualify me halakhically speaking. Um but uh, no, the only thing that I that I would typically add, is, they're kind of the one of the reasons I tend to avoid the title Messianic Jewish is because uh, there are a number of other uh, doctrinal positions that do tend to come with that title, which uh, I think I can speak for both Seamus and I. We we do not attest to. Um, so it's it's a bit of a complicated thing to explain where we are. Right. Yeah, I usually just say Messianic Gentile sometimes. Um. <laughs> yeah, I I know that um, eth- ethnic and Orthodox Jews take uh, a lot of times they'll take uh, offense to uh, non-ethnic or non-Orthodox Jews saying that they're Jewish. However, I've always known uh, Torah practicing Christians uh, that hold to Christ as more or less messianic jews but i know that it's not monolithic either you you have trinitarians unitarians and they're all over the place so uh that's cool um we won't call you messianic jews then. um <laughs> i should probably take that off the flyer but uh no. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all good it's it's the easiest way to identify us yeah. to christians yeah um Typically, we, we we tended to more so avoid that when speaking to Jewish people right. uh, because we don't want, at least in their mind, to associate um, the the doctrinal positions that we don't hold that are in common with the Messianic Jewish movement. Okay, so are you you guys are uh, some type of Unitarian? I take it. I call it a strict monotheist, and that's gonna that's gonna tick off a lot of my Christian friends, um, <laughs> and and that is because I I fundamentally reject the idea that they are monotheist, um, which is which is why I I, I I coined the term strict monotheist because Unitarian also has a number of other philosophies attached to it that I don't necessarily adhere to. Um, for instance, there are there are some people who would call themselves Unitarian when in reality they're modalists, which is just a more logical format for the Trinity. Yeah, that's, um, oh, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, oh, that's a heresy, that's a heresy. (laughs) Just like, and what's your point? Uh, So, well, so what I hate about using the term heresy, I don't actually talk about this often, but when you when you say something like modalism is heresy, which you know I I would I would agree with in this particular case, bad example maybe, but when you say something like that, 
heresy is typically defined as something that is a deviance from the Catholic belief. And most of Protestantism would be considered a heresy per the Catholic church. Uh, But when you say with definitive, like even as a Protestant, like this is a heresy, you've given the Catholic church the full authority to claim it as a heresy when it may or may not be. It's just something that they decided on a a couple thousand years ago. Um, And so sometimes I like to avoid using that for certain belief systems. So as not to give too much credence to the Catholic church, because really they're the ones who decided what was and what isn't a heresy. Uh, So, right. And from my understanding, uh, there's really not technically as many heresies as what people think they are. Um, I was doing some reading into it and a lot of like, you know, I weakly hold to a Trinitarian view at this point. Uh, partialism would be the close, the closest to me. And for those who aren't familiar, it's that Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father together make up God. They're not God individual. Um, <clears throat> but I'm slowly leaning more and more to some type of Unitarian view, which is why I call myself an agnostic Christian right now because I'm just not sure. But (laughs) partialism, uh, I don't believe, is technically even a heresy. I think that anything that's considered a deviation from, like you said, the, the Catholic Church's view that all three are holy God individually and together holy God, uh, total contradiction, yeah, but, creed. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so I think a lot of people say, well, if you don't hold to that view, then <clears throat> it's heretical. But I don't believe there's anything really in the catechism to say that partialism is heretical. It's um, I think so there's a progression. Uh, partialism is something that did exist. Um, it's, it's actually sort of the reason why St. Patrick was initially not welcome because uh, he used the shamrock and the shamrock model is the partialist model where like the three together in one. Um, right. And, and so he initially was kind of like, uh, well, uh, but he was able to brush it over um, just using it as a, as a terrible metaphor um, in his words. But, yeah, I think I think it was at at the time of Augustine of Hippo deemed a heresy, uh, and that's around 500 AD is when we had a more solid uh, modern definition of the Trinity that we have today, um, and that's an, a relatively important fact to uh, express when discussing the modern definition is that. Um, you know, the, the Trinity's definition changed for almost 500 years until it was finally really, even after the, the first council of Nicaea, that was a very rough draft. They had to go back for a second council in Constantinople and add the Holy Spirit to the Trinity. They left him out the first time. <laughs> and uh, that was in 385. Uh, so 40 years after the initial council. And, and then of course, in 500 AD, Augustine of Hippo finally codifies what we have as today's modern definition. So it's kind of this wishy-washy kind of back and forth progressive revelation most christians will call it is something that kind of had to develop over time right Um, yeah but i think by 500 everything else was considered heresy that's uh and i'll let brad speak to this uh to me it all hinges on 
whether the church is the authority or not. Um, so most Protestants would deny that the Catholic Church is any kind of authority, yet they're quick to call things heresies. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're appealing to the authority of the Catholic Church. <clears throat> yeah, I for me, um, it's it's kind of one of those things where I get I so I guess I'll be I'll I'll be the offensive one in this one, Seamus, <laughs> since I'm kind <laughs> of already bordering it so far. Um, I I refer to most of the rest of Christianity outside of Catholicism and uh, and the uh, the Eastern Orthodox sects as like ca- like diet Catholic or Catholic light. Because they still retain most of Catholicism. It's just a handful of items that they've rejected from Catholicism. And the funny thing is, as far as they think that they've traveled from Catholicism, as soon as you challenge the parts of Catholicism they still hold on to, they instantly turn into like devout Catholics. I mean, hence, hence the use of the word heresy, uh, which heresy to heresy, historically speaking, is a matter of dates and popularity. Uh, It, it, what, what is considered heresy now would not have been considered heresy um, in, in like, you know, 25 AD, uh, but then all the way into 90 AD, then it might have been considered heresy based on whatever the popular accepted teachings were at the time. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that really gets me is, you know, the, a lot of it has to do the differences. A lot of it has to do with sacraments and whether grace is infused, you know, through certain practices in the church itself. And I that in the liturgical style of worship, uh, I think Anglican and a few others still, or Lutherans, Eastern Orthodox, or they hold to a very similar style of worship and hold to some of the sacraments. Um, but the more that I study Judaism, uh, the idea of the church having this authority and this like it's like streamlining or this go-between for grace to be infused to the followers you know from what people consider an authority uh i just it's me it just i don't find this in jewish thought as far as Okay, so the go between. How do you how do you mean by that? As well, far as... in the, the grace that's infused through the sacraments, through the oh, through the pra- sacraments. Okay, yeah, through the practice, but which yep. ultimately goes to the authority of the church again. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I can So, uh, as a historian, I can kind of answer this a little bit. I, I think it comes from a, a Gentile misunderstanding of the idea of the Hebrew grace, because believe it or not, the the Hebrew word for grace actually does imply merit uh it's usually when you see like when abraham falls down or something he says if i have found favor and then he makes a request that's the hebrew word for grace if i have found favor so it it is it kind of implies this idea of merit and 
and and that has its own theological implications, of course. And it's very easy for somebody who doesn't really, who is not super familiar with uh, Jewish thought, Jewish interpretation of law and um, Eastern mindset to take that and think there is a sense of actual merit that you have to offer up in order to receive the, the meritless grace, right? So I can see why historically it kind of develops eventually into the Catholic thought. Um, and it's g- generally, uh, as with most things, based off of um, Gentiles reading a document they know little about and making their own interpretations from there without that, that outside help from the original, like the, from the Jewish source. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I wasn't aware. Um, I mean, I, I did, as far as grace goes, I didn't really think uh, in, you know, Jewish thought really too much near what you know catholicism but now that you mention it i can i can see how they would kind of see that you know certain practices and things because uh correct me if i'm wrong but that's one of the highest uh forms of worship is study like hours and hours of study and it's not just to learn it's it's like a connection I believe with because they would go to the houses and study for like all night, you know. Mm. Intimacy, uh, right? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It, it's it's viewed as as being a form of unifying your mind uh, with that of God in in a way, um, because the the Torah is understood to be the the nature of God, which would which would come from the mind of God. Uh, and so when you're engaged in studying it and uh, and connecting to it with your mind, this is this is seen as being a unifying factor. So, yeah, definitely the highest form of worship in Judaism is is study. Mm-hmm. So briefly, <clears throat> how did each one of you were you guys uh, raised in Christianity? Uh, were you non-believers? Is, and how did you get to? the type of Christianity that you follow. Uh, I feel like I've been talking more than you. So you want to start this one? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I did grow up in Christianity. I grew up in a a very independent fundamental style of Christianity. Um, And uh, my father was very well respected member of most any church that we happen to join, no matter where we moved. And he ultimately is the one who let his Bible fall open to Matthew five seventeen through 19 and uh, reading it out loud. It's like it hit him differently for the first time. It's like for the first time he actually understood what the passage was, was saying. So he led the family down this path. Um, and I fought him for a good two or three years um, because I grew up very steeped in, uh, in independent fundamental Baptist doctrine. Um, and when I say steeped, I, you know, like at the age of 12 years old, I could have an intelligent discussion with an adult about the finer points of five point Calvinism, you know, um, that's, that's just how my dad raised me. And, uh, so yeah, to rip the rug from under me the way that he did, uh, it was like, I was, I was not going to have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, but but eventually I, I I ended up coming around after being wrong in a number of of arguments that he and I had, um, 
And that's one of the things that I try and explain to people. A lot of people say that I will speak on the subjects that I speak on as though I already know that I'm right. And it's like, well, yeah, it's because I've already been proven wrong on this topic. Like I've already had a shift in my theology, um, which is not to say that I'm 100% right now, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that I'm a little closer. <laughs> You're battle tested. That's all battle right. Tested, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember you had mentioned, uh, your, your dad was, uh, pretty, pretty well into, uh, the study and it, it only goes to make sense considering the library that you have behind you. <laughs> this is, this is only like a quarter of what my dad's got at his house. That's, yeah. So do you, I got to know, do you guys ever like open the book and smell it? Oh, all the time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Old book and new book smell are the two best smells. Yes. <laughs> What, why do we do weird stuff like that? I've, I've never figured <laughs> Humans <out>. are weird. <laughs> Sometimes I would just look at a book on the shelf and be like, hey, that's an old one. <laughs> yeah. It smells like me old. a library at school. I'm going to put it back. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of an ancient ritual that we just forgot <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. That goes with book collecting. That is a, that, that is, that is a addiction. You know, I, I read more articles than I do anything. And it's like, oh, I got to have that book. I got to have that book. I've got a couple of them. You and I had talked about, uh, you know, the Talmud. I'm still like, just, oh, it costs so much money. It just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's a couple grand there. <laughs> now, I did get, uh, because I am a philosophy guy, I did get a book on Maimonides. I was um, just gonna say Maimonides, my man. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm digging it, man. I'm. I really am digging it. He's. Uh, I. I see why he's considered one of the greatest Jewish philosophers. I mean, the guy is just. He's a genius, man. I don't <laughs> oh, yeah. know if this was true of him or not, but it's said that by the time he was 13, uh, he had the whole Talmud memorized. He could, wow, verse for verse. Like you could pull it up, like, hey, what's what does Nida fifty six Bravo say? And he could just like well, the whole thing. Well, I, d I don't think that that's. Um, I mean, th that's a feat in itself, just the, the amount of writings. But <laughs> it, being historian, I mean, you're. I know you know that the way that they used to memorize just entire books and things are just it's it's insane. It's like w w life sucked. <laughs> just, well, they didn't have tv and theater yeah. and all sorts of other stuff to occupy oh, them so. yeah that's that would keep me from memorizing so how did you get to where you're at shane it's not the hurt hand part but oh yeah well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. can you see the the little rods in the yes yes I had, how cool I've, is that i spent the last year <laughs> having surgery on both of mine open palm surgery on both of mine and uh, oh my gosh, we're getting close ups. I'm gonna have to make this uh, rated R now. Thanks. No, no, it's for <laughs> medical reasons. You have to think it. it's, it's, it's educational. It's gore. <laughs> uh, there are no open wounds. Uh, so for for me, um, uh, forgive me if in the middle of speaking I I have to. No, stop. You do, you do. So this is still like kind of a painful process. Okay. Uh, and so sometimes if I if I stop, it's probably because I'm just trying to manage it. But. Um, uh, so I didn't start out, I would say, in a churchy home. Um, I grew up in an Irish home, and 
ipso facto you're irish or catholic now right that's just how it was but uh by no stretch of the imagination were we uh, a devout household um and um so i just grew up a regular kind of life i was a, a skateboarder uh throughout middle school and i get into high school um my parents are going through like this crazy really weird divorce thingy and so i was kind of being tossed about a little bit and at some point um, I end up being grounded for like a whole year. Uh, my dad's on deployment for the whole year. And so I'm, I'm grounded until he comes back was basically the, uh, the stipulation. Uh, and that was, I, I wasn't allowed to do anything fun. And, uh, that was including reading anything except a Bible. Uh, the Bible was the only thing I had in my room. And I hated Christians at the time. I, I thought of them as, you know, goody two shoes. You're super blessed. So of course it's easy for you to believe in a God that blesses you because you have all the money and you've never really known any real hardship. Uh, so it's easy for you. So I decided to take that and read it and use my free time to try and disprove it historically. I figured trying to disprove the existence of God if it could be done, it would have been done a long time ago. And philosophically, it's just not possible. Uh, so instead of taking that route, uh, the scientific route, I decided to take the historical route, try to disprove the document, and at the very least say that this document is wrong. Um, long story short, uh, years go by, and I'm incredibly well-versed in um, biblical archaeology by now. And eventually... Um, I was more than convinced that this document is inhuman. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. We still have it. it the, the, uh, it's survival, I think is a testament to an existence of something protecting it, right. uh, in, in my mind at the time. And so uh, m- over time, I just become more and more convinced with the more historical, um, uh, things that I, I tend to find. And, and so what ended up, what started out as me trying to disprove it so that I could shove it in Christian's faces Uh, turned into, it basically backfired. Um, But at the same time, because of that, because I was very historically informed, um, I still kind of managed to stay within my goal of like, I guess, not hating on Christianity. I would consider myself today, uh, just by strict definition of the word, a a Christian, right? Right. Um, But uh, when you learn the history, uh, you have a very different view of the New Testament that most Christians have. Uh, and that's kind of how I got into a little bit of the, the, the Torah scene. It started out with a small question, like, why did the Sabbath day change? And I, and eventually I met this man here in the bottom of the screen <laughs> and, uh, I, I ended up talking with his father and, and, um, he introduced me to other, other documents and sources that I was, uh, able to go to college. I, I eventually uh, left for college at Liberty university and I had access and time to study these things. Um, and that's where I learned most of what I do know now, uh, Brad, uh, he, he had the privilege of actually kind of growing up, uh, with those things as well and having a long time to hash those things out. Um, I did what, what he did in like 10 years, I would say he was 10 years above me. Um, I was able to get in four at Liberty only because I had full unadulterated access to the documents uh, that I was introduced to, um, and then, and then, and then we, we kind of met back up after college and, and, and now we're basically on the same page, except he's a little bit more of a the, I think I would consider Brad way more philosophically and theologically oriented than myself. Whereas I have a, a I tend to focus strictly on the history. 
Um, uh, but that's that's kind of my story. Uh, I, I ended up kind of streaming my way into it. <laughs> so you guys are like a tag team. You got one that's historical and the other theological and philosophical. And yep, yeah, it's, we've been thunder and lightning ever since. <laughs> thunder and lightning. Oh my goodness, that movie! Uh, <laughs> if that was a quote from the rundown, uh, I absolutely love that movie. I, uh, <laughs> So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of working backwards um, after original. I've spent so much time in philosophy that, I, you know, I'm not ignorant to theology. I did spend quite a bit of time early on in theology, but loving philosophy as much as I do. It's kind of, I've always kind of come at the Bible and Christianity and stuff more from a historical angle, because I just like the, the backstory to it and trying to put things into, I'm an analytic person. I want to know why, you know, the building blocks, how we got there. And so now I'm kind of like going backwards and tearing the building blocks down from what I was taught. Um, and Brad and I, I, I don't know if you saw it or not. Seamus uh, had kind of a discussion debate kind of thing on uh the tour and we had talked beforehand i told him i said i don't know how much of a debate it's going to be it's we pretty <laughs> much agree on on most of everything from you know the historical analysis and cultural context that that i've been learning behind it uh just not sold on the tour part that's it so um so your dad man he's like a superstar uh, <laughs> he is. We, dude, we, one day this is a side story we we were telling each other riddles to see who could figure it out the fastest and we came up we told i told him one it, it took us both forever to figure it out like all all day just bothered us and so we were like yo we need to go and like your dad is just a genius so we need to go and ask him and see how long it takes him and so, like, we we waltz up, and we're, like, kind of full no, of ourselves. We're like, this well, one's a good one. There's no way he'll get it. Mind you, he's, like, setting lumber up in the garage. I was garage. just going to say, yeah. You're like, he's he's just shot. storing away wood. Okay, wait yeah, a minute. Hold on. Just Hold doing carpentry story. things. Hold the and, story. Uh, so he's an uber male and <laughs> super intelligent. So <laughs> he's, it has, he's a Jewish carpenter. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it has been said about him before that he only has a Y chromosome. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's just so physically incapable of producing girls because I am number two out of seven boys. Yep. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this, so does he like sneeze and grow a beard? Does yes, like, exactly oh, that. <laughs> yeah, this man, and he's got a, he's he's Cuban, and he's got kind of a darker complexion, so he looks incredibly Middle Eastern. Wow, so really funny. Cuban and <laughs> denies Orthodox Christianity. That's, I mean, yeah, I'm, right. He's gotta be, he has to be disowned. I mean, well, he's got a shady a, past too, so his family. Okay. Yeah, my wife but, is Italian. You know, her grandfather, and he came here from Italy. And when he not, so when he saw me, he knew I wasn't Italian. I mean, it's obvious. And then right. when he found out I wasn't Roman Catholic, I thought he was going to fall over dead. It was <laughs> like, you know, and they lived in South Florida. So the other half of the family was Cuban. 
So they all got together, uh, got along with the Orthodox thing and the Christianity yeah. thing. And I'm sitting here, the odd Protestant out like, hey, yeah, everybody <laughs> hates me, you know? <laughs> yeah, my my family in Ireland. Uh, uh, Roman Catholics tend to have an anti-Semitic lean, especially in the Irish community. And um, so when, when my family in Ireland found out, it was very, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're um, as bad as Roman Catholics. They're yeah, yeah but they're... Uh, so we 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 go in and he's just working away. He's like putting lumber away. He just got finished cutting some boards up or something and doing carpentry stuff. Um, and we're like, hey, we got a riddle for you. And we tell him the riddle real quick. Uh, it's kind of a long one, but he we get done telling him and giving him all the rules and the parameters. And he kind of sat for like a second and he thought, and it felt like maybe thirty seconds. Yeah, he just sat there like this, and he was like it's this. Am I right? And we were like, ah, uh, wow, that was fast. Hold on. And then he went, he went right back to putting wood away. And he was like, yeah, well, that's easy because it should be obvious. And we were like, dude, it took us like five hours. What are you talking about? Obvious? Felt so dumb. <laughs> so your dad is like Jesus's nephew. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's smart. He's, you would never, this man speaks perfect English. You would never know that English is not his first language. Wow. But he speaks better English than me. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, there are times where he's talking to me and he just assumes I know certain words and he uses a word. And I'm like, dog, you're going to have to slow down. I don't know the definition of that, what you just said there. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what melodramatic means. <laughs> yeah. Brad, you're going to have to humanize this man. Um, so- <laughs> I actually think that the first time I had that problem was in he was like, well, I, I like that the Holman uses the word propitiation instead of uh whatever word some other translation uses in like colossians and i was like yeah me too what does that mean (laughs) (laughs) we we need to hear we need to hear some embarrassing stories about your dad he won't oh goodness i I couldn't tell anything embarrassing um (laughs) on your father i will say i i've I've won exactly one argument against the man That is Ooh. it. That is the only thing I can ever claim, and and that is that is and it it, it, it in the end of everything it, it ended up not even being an argument. It was just a point of agreement between us. Um, Darn. It. But uh, but <laughs> but it was there was an extreme disagreement for a long time about like musical genre, right? Whereas I I come from the from the position of like okay, well there is nothing inherently evil about the organization of notes or what instrument they're played on. Um, and better yet, I actually went even further to suggest that modern heavy metal as it is today is actually closer to classical music than any other genre that currently exists. And so then two cellos did their cover of Thunderstruck and I was like, proof, I win. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the... Yeah, nobody is as far as metal goes nobody has been more creative than uh the australian band that uses the that oh the didgeridoo the didgeridoo yes yes <laughs> and they they may they make hard rock metal music with a didgeridoo and it's it's awesome have you heard of eluvite though yeah eluvite no how do you spell that uh e-l-u-v-e-i-t-i-e bagpipe metal 
No. It's straight up Celtic metal. Oh, uh, yeah. No. It's like the Rip most metal. Norse Celtic thing you that you've what? ever heard. Now, I have seen some. I might have. Do they have like uh like a female like headbanging and and with the and there it's like this real with a hurdy gurdy uh, yeah and it's yeah. it's a real well done high quality videos and stuff that goes with I think I have he's probably talking about Call of the Mountain yeah probably that's oh a Call great of the one. Mountain that's no that that sounds like that's it's song. a song by them yeah. but it, oh, the, what oh, you're describing okay. sounds like the music video Call yeah, of the Mountain because, uh I I was. I think it was when I was looking at trying to find the didgeridoo metal band that I ran across. And I was like, these people are rocking, man. And they're just, yes. they got the the bagpipes going and, and and it's just like, how do you headbang to that? And then I'm like headbanging and it's like, yeah, there we go. There it is. It's possible. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. So yeah, I'm a metal guy myself. Um, I kind of went through a lot of phases. I do. I like a lot of hip hop too. So uh, yeah, I actually one of those. It's okay. Yeah. It's part of growing up. <laughs> no, no. I, mean, I, I actually one of my playlists is actually metal and hip hop, and it kind of bounces around. But I like I like like NF and uh, you know uh, oh what is he so got? You, the you could just do Hobson and could just I do like, metal hip hop and listen to Attila. New metal. Hey, well, you know, <laughs> it was Tech Nine did one with, uh, I think it was uh, Corey from Slipknot. Uh, Corey Taylor. Corey Taylor. Yeah. Taylor, yeah. The man. Sure. Yeah, and it was it was pretty hard. It was I liked it. It was like yeah, yeah. Both of these going rah, rock on. Uh, so <laughs> Brad, make your dad human. Oh goodness! Oh yeah, um, we gotta stop deifying your dad real quick. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> no, seriously. Oh, he uh, he. Well, I'm I'm like I, I'm like the clone of him. Like, if oh, you've seen yeah. me, you've seen my father. Yeah, quite literally. Spitting image, couldn't deny. He's, I mean, you're his firstborn. So that was that was a clever. Uh... That was a clever move there. I saw <laughs> you like that one. <laughs> so did he? Did he immigrate? Belief or... in Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, his yes. dad, and Seamus. There we go. We got Trinity. <laughs> yes, he did. He did immigrate um, back in the '60s. It was one of the last planes out of Cuba, I think. Um, so he and my grandmother and uh, my Tia, they moved here and he grew up uh, poor side of town in Massapequa Park, Long Island, New York. Okay. Um, but he did, for the most part, grow up Catholic. And there came a point in his life where he observed the behavior of certain people in the church and realized that he had a higher standard of morality on his own without church um, and uh, so went on his own, uh, I'll call it a spiritual journey of discovery, um, where he uh, he encountered a few individuals, uh, all from, from uh, faith backgrounds that all had an impact on him. Uh, and eventually, yeah, they, they came around, he, he and my mother, it was after they, they were married that they, they came around and, and, uh, got saved and became born again believers. 
and that story on its own is a fantastic one, but that's one I like to let them tell um, because it's, yep. it's got a lot to do with their, their marriage and, and the beginnings of it and everything. But it's, it's one of those miraculous ones where there's kind of no explanation for it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a wonderful story. That's interesting. Um, I, I have such a heart for immigrants uh, in this country because especially uh, non-white immigrants because to be so close to where we are and to be, you know, a lot of people don't realize how bad the Irish and even Italians and the Europeans were treated when they came here. And a lot of the people that are descendants from those immigrants have the same feelings towards, you know, those that don't look like us and act like us uh, coming to this country. So um, I'm, I'm glad that he did because you're here and I'm glad he got out of Cuba. Uh, so, <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> yeah. So did it, did he marry your mom? Did he find your mom here or? Yes. Um, so he, <clears throat> he joined the army um, and was stationed in Fort Stewart uh, just outside of Savannah, Georgia. And that is where he met my mom. Okay, cool. So oh, yeah, he found the Southern Bell. Oh, oh yeah, I no, he grew up. That. <laughs> he grew up in New York, moved down south, met a Southern Belle, and decided he was never going back up north. Yep. You know? Do you know the difference between? I'm, I'm I'm sorry for my northern friends. I just this is funny. I don't care about the whole South and North thing. But uh, do you know the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee? <laughs> <laughs> I don't yes. know this one. But yes, okay. Yankees yep. come to the South to visit. Damn Yankees come and stay. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> My wife is uh, a Yankee. Uh, uh, I guess she's a damn Yankee then. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I thought the damn Snow Yankee birds. was the one who married your daughter. That's <laughs> a, oh, <laughs> that one too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're, we're, hey, wait, wait, wait. We can't talk about that. I got, <laughs> I got, I got daughters of uh, marriage age. So that's uh, get the guns. I'm gonna put the whole oh, man. I, I don't have any of there at the bottom of a lake. Um, yep. Lost yep. him. Boating accident. Boating accident. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a note, Seamus. Did you ever land a kickflip? Yeah, I, I won. I, I won a competition by landing one. Actually, no way. Do you know how long I tried and tried? I quit skating because of kickflips. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the worst trick ever. Um, it, I so I was in a beginner competition, uh, and um, it was I think it was like the second kickflip I've ever landed. But uh, wow. all the beginners, you know, kind of do the same basic moves, and because I was the only one to do a flip trick on the floor, um, I think that's what gave me that first place. So I awesome. and it was like they were counting down too. They're like, "You have five seconds left, four. and I was like, "You know what? I got nothing to lose." So I went for it, and I just barely, just barely got on the board and kept it going, and and. And so it counted <laughs> Such an inspirational moment. I landed on the, the with the board edge up so many times. Oh, popsicles. <laughs> well, no, not like that. Like the board landing sideways and then. Oh, like primo. Yep. Yeah, like kicking it out and landing ah. on my head. That's what's wrong with me. I had a problem uh, with becoming a popsicle. That's, <laughs> that too. That's <laughs> so did you skate, Brian? Oh, Never on the same level that Seamus did. I, I toyed around with skateboards for a little while when I was younger, but I was never as good as Seamus is. You look like a BMX guy. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, so that I actually did do pretty well, actually. BMX was something that I did play around with a lot. Yeah. Nah. It, it's the beard. I never saw it, so I can't confirm <laughs> it. <laughs> How long have you guys known each other? <laughs> I saw uh, that board, Brad, by the way, the one you met me with. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I saw, it's actually right here. <laughs> it's going back a ways. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, we've known each other for 11 years uh, now. Well, no, 12, right? Is it it's 12 now? Yeah, because we met in like 20, 2008. No. 2009? It was, yeah, yeah, it was the, uh, it was Winterfest New Year's 2009, 2010. Uh, I thought it was 08, 08, 09. You're in so no. much trouble later, Seamus. You I forgot our anniversary. How dare you? I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of metal music and all this stuff and how we met, actually, because it was at a Winterfest um, yeah. for New Year's at uh, Liberty University. And we were some of the only kids that were actually like going hard, headbanging and everything. Like when we went to the mall later, kids recognized us and they come up to us and be like, you guys are the headbanging dudes. And it's like, yeah. yes, that is us. <laughs> they put us up on the Jumbotron and we were too busy rocking out to notice. And so <laughs> we had no idea we were on TV. <laughs> oh, y'all were so Jay and Silent Bob. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm trying to get my goal is to get my uh beard long enough that i can actually headbang with my beard and Ooh. get it flopping a little bit kind of kind of, kind of do the windmill but with the beard yeah. get, it, get it kind of just hey let me tell you something about being bald you don't realize that your hair is a warning system i have never in my life hit my head as much as i do since i've been shaving my head it is it is insane. It's like we don't even think about, you know, you get close to something and it, and it warns you. But when you don't have hair, you're just like, Clow. I, you know, some, <laughs> sometimes sometimes I'm like walking and there's this metal pole over here. My head will like just drive towards the metal pole to hit me on the pole it's almost like it has a mind of its own i think it's murphy's law because <laughs> now everyone can see the bruises <laughs> yes murphy did not believe in the trinity um, <laughs> so we should probably talk about some theological things here yeah maybe um, yeah maybe it's like nah we do that all the time uh, <laughs> But that's that's kind of what the show's for is, you know, people let loose, learn more about the people and, you know. So do you have you guys written anything or uh, mm. you do a ton of stuff on TikTok? I absolutely love it. Uh, I don't have time to hit the hard on every one of them. And plus, you have like a thousand. So you're not even going to know if I did or not. But <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, even though Seamus does not follow me, I do follow him. And I follow you now. Oh, OK. <laughs> As of. 45 minutes ago <laughs> well i didn't get an alert so. that's because i'm well, not important enough i'm not tiktok famous so like anything i do it doesn't matter <laughs> we haven't written anything like official yet um usually before i do like uh something so or before i do a tiktok series i'll actually write out you know kind of a a baseline for what it's going to be about and i suppose that could make a good kind of launching point for a book if I were to write a book on the subject, but uh, we do have an idea kind of rolling around. Yeah. For a, of book. a book that we plan on writing. It's still in the, that planning part of the phase. Uh, we actually, so we do have like an outline, like a very 
uh, broad outline of some of the chapters and what we want to cover. Um, but as we haven't begun the actual writing process quite yet. I, actually, I think Brad did write like three pages um, a little bit ago. Um, but uh, writing's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the, the easiest mode, like what Brad was saying, honestly, that the thing to do would be to write down like a TikTok video that we're about to do, do it, and then save that and kind of put it in a book. Yeah, um, kind of like an audio format kind of thing. Well, I mean, the information from the audio. Because, yeah, you, yeah, you guys do cover, especially Brad. I mean, Brad, bro, it's like, how much coffee do you drink? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been less active lately because because of sleep, actually, because yeah. I work an hour from home. Oh, so I have an hour-long commute and then an hour-long commute back. And so I just don't have the time anymore like I used to. Yeah, and I enjoy you guys' uh, YouTube channel, too. Tell me a little bit about the uh, Killing Church series. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching uh, Killing the Church, I believe it is. Uh, what was the idea there? What is uh, giving so, a little bit of information on it? Yeah, we decided a long time ago um, that we either wanted to do a book or a podcast or a, a YouTube channel or something like that together, um, discussing this because, um, the, the, the Hebrew word for it is escaping me right now. Seamus, you'll have to remind me, but, uh, basically the study partner, your, uh, uh, uh Havruta. it's with a yeah. T. Tav. Okay, well, you're not Ashkenazi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the Jews that I speak to you say it that way. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's 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 the study partner that you're kind of assigned or or you know you grow up with, and that's kind of how we have functioned forever. And so we just decided that we wanted to do this kind of endeavor together, um, but we weren't really sure exactly how to uh, go about presenting it. And we already know that kind of what we believe in our theology is a little more offensive as it is anyway. Uh, So we figure probably go for a shock and awe kind of name. Uh, So naturally killing the church is, is going to be something that draws attention and it's got a, it's got a double entendre. So, you know, it's where we, we discuss things that are killing the church, uh, but also things that are in the church and probably need to be killed. Things that the church could do without, um, yeah, and yeah, it fits. Was... It fits perfect with you know current polls and things with the nons, you know, because the church, at least the evangelical church, is it's suffering, you know, and but there's a lot of things that it needs to suffer for. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be weeded out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, like with even with the oral Torah, the purpose of having the oral Torah is to reinterpret, to keep God's word applicable and relevant and uh, kind of molding with the changes of society, not necessarily going with societal norms, but making it to where it's understood better in 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 uh modern terms uh Uh, it depends on your definition of i guess oral torah um because there there are halachic uh rulings that can change over time halacha i'm i'm not sure if you're familiar but for the viewers who are not 
it's just the fancy way of, <laughs> way of saying how you do a commandment because uh, the commandments themselves are actually vague. They don't tell you how to do them. And so, but much of the oral Torah is an explanation on how to do many of these things. Uh, and, and there are some times where uh, it accounts for the changes in times. Um, but a lot of it is actually sort of the reason that Judaism refuses to change with the time. I would say that uh, the oral Torah in and of itself has, has always distinguished Judaism regardless of the culture or time it was always living in. Um, yeah, I was thinking of the best way to word that because I didn't want to come off as reinterpreting to accept changing societal right. norms. Yeah, It's more just making it not... We would say clarifying. <clears throat> there you go. Yeah, it's more relatable. Uh, or, you yeah. Know, some, yeah. Uh, especially like some of the harder laws that are difficult to understand. Um, what the oral traditions actually allow for us to do is to see inside of the mind of the early believer when they read that law. Uh, Cause uh, some of the oral traditions are, are just halachic rulings and they've actually more or less maybe have forgotten the original tradition that was passed down. Uh, there's actually a, a tradition that states that there were 70 layers to every single verse in the Torah, but much of it has been lost. Mm. Um, and so some of these are just halachic rulings on, uh, based on a lack of information, but also based on what they understood when they read that commandment. Um, and I, I got into a debate once uh, on TikTok about the stoning of a rebellious child and, and how that's one of the, the most misunderstood laws in the entire Torah. And if you were just, you know, read the Mishnah on that in, uh, entire section, you'd have, you'd come away with a completely different understanding. Um, what? Isn't isn't it the like for example all of the you should put them to death you should put them to death and all of that w w didn't mean that was like the maximum penalty punishment but they really uh, would pay fines and pay uh, uh, penances or things like that there was isn't the oral Torah like doesn't it lay out the guidelines for what you should pay for these things it's much like our justice system now you could get life in jail but you can get pro you know, probation and pay a fine or something like that yeah it certainly depended on the ruling so that's actually the judge's job is to decide what your sentence is and you're not wrong in saying that the death penalty was usually a maximum sentence that you could um, have lesser sentences involved. But that's usually only in the case uh, in which something would warrant a death penalty, but you don't have enough witnesses to confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt. And if that's the case, then then you would uh, decide on like some sort of fine or community service. <clears throat> um, or even in some cases, in a lot of cases, they would simply say, well, if you die within the next year, it means you were guilty. <laughs> yeah and they would and, just let you go with a lack of witnesses which yeah, that right. happened a majority of the time actually yeah and you would have to have at least two witnesses to even bring the charge right uh, so two witnesses for minor crimes three witnesses for capital crimes right right so i mean uh, trying to get you know uh three witnesses to say uh that he didn't honor his father one of them could be the <laughs> father and you know it's uh, well that one's interesting because you can't the plain reading of the text, you can't enforce that law. It's not possible. Yeah. Uh, because it, it would be a law that would apply to a minor, but you can't charge a minor with a crime. Ah. Huh, and huh. 
so then you would have to be charging an individual who is not a minor, but it's rebellious child, right? And so we actually have a problem in which, basically, long story short, the, the problem is nobody can bring this, levy this charge against another person except for the boy's own father and only in the case of a person who refuses to take his bar mitzvah. Mm. And so that's, that's the stipulation. And that's that, the Torah doesn't really read you that, but because of all this, you know, the laws that surround the Torah, that's the only possible way you could ever enforce that law is if the child refuses to bar mitzvah, i.e. become a man. And so he would have to be a man who refuses to become a man. And the only person who is allowed to bring that child and levy this charge against him is this father. And the Talmud actually records that this charge has never been exercised ever in the history of Israel because no father ever wants to bring the death penalty charge against their child. You you figure I can fix this. Just give me time kind of thing. And, um, and you so it's, listen it's, to me, I'm going to take you up there and you're going to get killed, boy. Yeah, it, it is very much <laughs> intended to be a last resort that only the father can use. And so even if you have 10 witnesses and one of those witnesses want to be the one to bring it forth, can't do it. It's got to be the father. But see, what I love about this example, actually, it's one of those it, it's one of the examples that I think. Um, because of what Seamus just explained is probably one of the most abused by, um, by atheists who want to make the argument that God is some kind of a moral monster. Is there any, uh, any number of other ones to choose from, but this is not a good one because of the historical context involved. It's like, it's, that's, that's a very easy one to dismiss. But in addition to that, I think it's also abused by Christians, uh, namely Christian parents, right? Because if any anybody who's grown up in a, a independent fundamental Baptist uh, setting understands uh, that this verse was very very accessible uh, in a an adult's um, arsenal. This is something that that children would often be reminded of, right? It, it's like, right. well, you've you've got it easy because back then I could have stoned you for telling me no or something like that. And it's and it's like, no, that's not what that means. It's like you 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 would be charged with murder if you did that to your child for yeah. refusing to wash the dishes. That's not what it meant. Um, there there are blatant stipulations on what. Uh, what crimes had to be committed for this to even be a valid uh, complaint. Um, and it's one of those where it's like, I like to tell Christian parents, it's like, look, God already has a standard of of what your child is supposed to meet. Like, you don't get to decide that. God decided that. And so you don't get to levy this charge if it's not violating God's standard. And this is actually part of the reason why me and him, uh, me and Brad decided to start the alternate media ministry to begin with. Uh, cause a, a lot of, a lot of the times when you read through the old Testament, it's incredibly intimidating, uh, especially the Torah. And if you don't have a, a, a thorough background in Judaism or even first century, uh, history, um, well, even older than that, but at least in general, a first century history, um, it's really intimidating. You read some of these things and you think, wow, that seems really unmoral for God to allow someone to stone their child. Um, you know, and like, X, Y, and Z, name whatever law it is, sell your daughter into slavery, another one that's commonly um, misconcepted, misinterpreted a lot. Uh, and so we hope to normalize information that would normally be sought after with a master's degree. 
Mm. the kind of thing that uh, we had a youth pastor who was uh, back in the day, he was actually getting his master's degree and me and Brad were just having a casual conversation about a couple of historical figures in the Talmud. And this guy was like, dude, I'm working on my third master's degree and I'm only just now learning about these two. How I feel like I've wasted my whole life and money on wow. these degrees. <laughs> um, and that's actually kind of our goal It's a little bit of an inspiration that we took was, yeah, you know, if more Christians were more aware, they'd be less afraid of reading the Torah. And, and that would arm them with the, the kind of information they need to even just go out and talk to the normal regular everyday person and especially other Christians um, and help enrich or strengthen your faith, knowing that there really is a logical, uh, you know, stream of thought within the entire Bible. It's not just this archaic, like we kill people now or back then, but we don't now. It just kind of seems really disconnected and removed. And that's not the case. And so, yeah, well, we can't close out the stream without a philosophical question. Ooh. So. I've got to know, Brad, and you have to give me some nuance. Okay. What is Jesus's relation to the Father? Oh, Mike's turning <laughs> off now. What a good question. Because um, this is one I'm struggling with right now, so I'm laying it at your feet. I am, right now I'm at the feet of the rabbi. <laughs> oh goodness! I've I've <laughs> definitely not earned that title. Good grief! No, no. Brad, aren't you thirty? <laughs> not yet. Not yet, Seamus. Don't put that evil on me. You're you're oh you're not gosh, thirty. You're not yet? even thirty. <laughs> You'll no, be thirty in October, right? I'll, I'll be thirty in October. <laughs> oh my gosh, man! Y'all make you have to be thirty. So at that, at minimum, be thirty before you can even accept the title oh. rabbi. Um, I used to be the young guy in the room. And now I'm the old guy in the room. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Jesus's relation to the Father. Um, so, man, there's so much philosophy to discuss before answering this question, but I love the question. So, I guess in a simple way, um, I, if we, as, as per the usual, allow Scripture to define Scripture here, um, Jesus was said that he would be a prophet like Moses. Um, that's that's what we understand from the Torah itself. Now, Moses was what we call a shaliach or an agent in, in the Talmud. An agent is not distinguished from the principle, uh, which is to say that you don't actually refer to them as though there's something other than than the, per the person that they represent. You, you don't refer to them as someone who is distinct and separate yet representing you. You would refer to them as though they are the person that they're representing. And this is why God says to Moses that you will be God to Pharaoh. You will be Elohim to Pharaoh, not like a God, not as a God. It's, it literally says you will be Elohim to Pharaoh. Uh, and that is because uh, especially in the Egyptian uh, religion, Pharaoh was himself seen to be the representation of God on earth uh, in, in, within their own pantheon. And so it would be inappropriate in a sense uh, for a God to be addressed by a lesser being. Uh, and this actually was the importance of Aaron being the mouthpiece of Moses in that if Moses was God to Pharaoh, then God himself would not have been the one doing the speaking. And so you could almost say that Aaron was a shaliach to Moses, an agent to Moses. This is why he spoke on behalf of Moses to the Pharaoh. 
Um, and this is a this this is already understood as to what the Messiah would be. It was never understood that the Messiah would be uh, God incarnate, uh, but that the Messiah would be an agent of God, a representative of God um, to the world, uh, to to all of mankind. Because this was the whole duty of man in the first place. the The entire job of Adam was to be a representation of the creator to the rest of creation. That's why he was set up as the overseer, uh, the, the manager of creation as it were. Um, and this is also why Paul refers to Jesus as the second Adam or the last Adam. Um, so Jesus fulfills, uh, the role of an agent of God in, in multiple ways. And so in, in any of the places where we see, uh, uh, an equation between Jesus and God, which there are few and far between. Uh, most are going to be found in the book of John, and most of them have a caveat that actually makes it very hard for the Trinitarian doctrine to work if you challenge it. Um, but uh, in, in addition to that, I would say that sticking with John 1, um, Jesus is the Torah made flesh, and the Torah itself is as I said earlier, is, is understood as being uh, the, the nature of God in written form, um, or, or, or you could even say the essence of God. And so I would say that the relation of Jesus to God is, is exactly that of the Torah and God. Um, so yeah. yeah the incarnate law or the uh, kind of, I guess it would be like he would, he would be like a type or anti-type to Moses. He would mm -hmm. be like a great prophet, but greater. Um, would you say the greatest prophet? Because he was, so his, mm -hmm. his duty was to uh, deliver Israel and then ultimately deliver the world through Israel or bring peace to the world through Israel. Uh Hmm. Um, That's yeah, I, I, I don't know that I'd say the greatest prophet. Um, really? You would have to, well, because Moses is the foundation. Right. And Ooh. so equal with, because if he's greater than Moses, that means he could override Moses. But Moses is the only reason we know he's the Messiah to begin with. So And, and if well, Moses himself was acting as a mouthpiece for God, then... It, yeah, it, it, but... you set you set up a bit of a contradiction to 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 put him on that level but see so i would, would, I would equal to moses for sure yeah most certainly so i would i would lean towards moses being a type and jesus being the anti-type that moses was the foreshadowing uh kind of prophet that would be the culmination of the prophets which would be uh, Jesus, not that Moses isn't important or extremely important or a great prophet himself. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just the lasting bit of evangelical Christianity in me that doesn't want to give up that uh, super significance of Christ. No, it, uh, I think honestly, what it usually comes down to when it comes to talking with me and Brad is a miscommunication of terms. Um, because you asked about his prophetic role specifically, and we were answering in accordance with his prophetic role specifically. 
Um, but he's oh. better than Moses in that upon his resurrection, he's the high priest in heaven, which Moses never was. And that okay. actually that does put him above Moses, but not on this realm. Okay. Yeah. So my, okay. Yeah. yeah. We were talking and, past each other. And, so. and also, yeah. And also uh king over, over Israel. Right. Well, and, and then therefore the world there's, there are many offices <laughs> in which Jesus would definitely be higher than Moses, but as a prophet specifically, um, it creates a number of, of contradictory problems for Jesus to be greater than Moses. Right. Okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. It was in my terminology. Um, I'm still you know, typical evangelical Protestant right now. Kind yeah. of it's wonder. Romans, I think what, 12, uh, two, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh yeah. yeah. That's uh, I go to that verse a lot. Cause it, it's what we do it incorporates a major transformation of the way that you think uh, with the Eastern mindset versus the evangelical Western mindset. Yep. Uh, and so it, it, it took, uh, I would say, man, it took me probably five years before I could even um, start to begin to think in the correct manner, uh, you know, with this transformation and the renewal of my, of my thought process. Um, so I go to that verse a lot because it, yeah. And that, you know, coming out of, fundamentalism the, the mindset is the hardest part of fundamentalism to break because you are taught a way that the world is black and white and there's no gray mm -hmm. it's wrong it's right there's no maybe it's you you know to be a lukewarm christian is worse than being an atheist or something <laughs> you know so it, which that now I know that that whole scripture was totally like ripped out of context. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's not even close to what Jesus Jesus was talking about the cities from where the water was running, where yep. at least at one end it's hot. And at least that's at the a other historical end, context for you. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's yeah. like, wait a minute. He's saying, how, whoa, because they don't even get they get warm water. They don't even get cold or hot. At least they're, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what uh, <clears throat> Protestantism <clears throat> has done to. Uh, well, so, not only that, I mean Orthodoxy too. As as a philosophy guy, Eddie, uh, I, I definitely got to recommend a, a set of books for you to get. Yes, <laughs> recommend away, baby. Um, especially since you're 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 currently um, reasoning through the subject of the Trinity, and that would definitely be the Tanya. Um, Ooh. That is one that actually, so Seamus and I have recommended this to a, another uh, evangelical friend of ours, and he's just now going through it. And so like just now we're getting screenshots of pages from it and like, and like this statement outlining how now his understanding has shifted. And it's like, yes, this is what we've been telling you. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's just it. When I, the more I learn about second to temple Judaism, the more I'm, and I have got a richness of New Testament that I have never seen or, or, or read before because knowing who Jesus is talking to and what yep. he means by using certain things going on at the time, you know, just the uh, uh, turning the other cheek. It's not even close to what <laughs> right. most people, you know, it's like. Or the coin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's 
and I'm just like, wait a minute, what, what else am I missing here? What, 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 you know, it's about suing your brother. You know, it's about pride. It's about, it's not about uh, taking a whipping and standing there saying, okay, I took your whipping. I still love you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> because Jesus flipped over tables in the temple. Right. Wow. It's not, it's not about altruism. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Altru- that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You said the, the Tanya and what else? Yep. T-A-N-Y-A. Yeah. yeah, I got it. That's a, yep. uh, that's a deeply philosophical work. That's it's, one. Uh, well, that's one that I, uh, you recommended to me last time. Yeah. Uh, and it went into my list to get, and I missed that one. So yeah, that one, uh, that's going to take you a while to get through. It's, uh, there's actually a year long reading plan. It's, uh, if you follow the plan, it'll take you a whole year to go through it. Um, and for some, because of its density in its content, it, it may take up to two years. Uh, you may have to divide the days in half. Yep. No, I'll be done. And by the time I'm 50, <laughs> You'll, it's, not, I, it's not the Talmud. It's only five volumes. I think you I, can get through five volumes in a year. I think, <laughs> I think, and Seamus, we're going to have to go ahead and lay down the bets here. But I think that his favorite his favorite volume is going to be the same as mine. I think he's going to like volume one the best, or like the the first book. Um, so the first book actually goes over like the anatomy of the, the soul. One I'm gonna get through. <laughs> no, no, it's just it's the oh, most really? relevant to the philosophically wow. minded. <laughs> uh yeah, because yeah, book so three they, is more practical. I'd I, say chapter twenty is, is going to be his favorite chapter too. Oh yeah. But the infamous chapter sixteen, they don't they don't think of the soul like uh, a dualism like a lot of Christians do, right? It's kind of like maybe a hylomorphism. It's like one and the same. Your Um, your identity is your body, your soul, your. So they actually have a very unique idea of the soul, and that they actually believe that human well humans have two souls. Why do I need two? Uh, well, we'll let you to find out. The right <laughs> <laughs> because according to Genesis two seven, um, Adam Ad, Adam did become a a uh, nefesh a, a a soul or an animal soul per se, um, but he also had the neshama or the divine soul. There's, so it'd be like two natures. Yes, that's that's Uh, actually well, two natures is the easiest way to understand it. But then then when you keep going in Tanya, you'll realize that there are 10 parts to each soul. Nice. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is actually sounding extremely interesting. Yeah. And then it becomes less of a major and more of an actual soul. And you're like, okay, 10, 10 natures, 10 levels, 10 sephirot, 10 dimensions, (laughs) two souls. That (laughs) that may even sway you on some of the Torah because it, it, in as much as it breaks down the anatomy of the soul, it breaks down exactly how doing the commandments affects each each soul member or each body part of that soul um and speaks of it in terms of 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 wearing the commandments as a garment and and you know how you don the commandments as as a garment which then influences our understanding of the parables where jesus speaks about not being properly dressed for the wedding and what have you okay Uh, there's there's a short really a really short book uh, and I'll, i'll leave this on this it's a Paul Philip Levertov as a rabbi went to yeshiva in the early 17th century, excuse me, 18th century. What's his last name? Uh, Levertov. Um, 
like lever and then T O V Levertov. Oh, that's easy enough. And uh, Paul, so Paul Philip Levertov, uh, he wrote a book called Love in the Messianic Age. It's only 65 pages. And the premise of the book is basically you cannot understand the Gospel of John without a thorough background in Tanya. Wow. And I'll, I've always thought I'll send of, you the PDF. I've got the PDF for yeah, that. I always yeah. thought that John was more of a Hellenistic Greek kind of because of the logos, you know, talking yeah. about Christ. And that's yeah. usually the accepted. Um, and then this this Jewish man who he actually never heard of Christianity uh oh, um, wow. in his day. Yeah, he he stumbled upon the gospel of John. Uh it was like a ripped piece of paper on the side of the street when he was walking home from Yeshiva one day. Um and he was like reading this page and he was like, wow, this is sounds like a great Hasidic Jew. I I, I want to learn more about him and um, he went to his rabbi and his rabbi was basically like, never speak of this again. Uh, and then when he got his hands on his own copy of, of the gospels, uh, specifically oh, I think John, I remember one of you guys telling this story, uh, was it on one of your YouTube shows? Or? I think it was on my, my TikTok where I talk about it. A little yeah, bit. yeah. Yeah. I remember you talking about this. Yeah. But yeah, he, uh, he, he, so he reads through John and he thinks to himself, uh, by now he's actually heard of Christianity. He knows a little bit about it. Um, and so he reads this book of John. And he, he basically he writes this in his book. He says to himself, this sounds like our book, not their book. And what he means by that is like, this is thoroughly a Jewish book. I don't understand how wow. they have it. Like it, it's not, it's not theirs. And so he was baffled by the book. And so he decided to study it. Uh, and then his, his result of that was uh, writing this little, this little book, basically saying that, you know, you, you guys think this is your book. It's actually our book and you, you don't even know what you're reading. Don't even understand. Right? Yeah. And, and it's a very short, like literally 65 yeah, I think, I'm pages. Definitely read that. Cause I'd be, I'd definitely be interested in that. Now I know that there are some traditions in John that predate, uh, I believe, uh, all of the rest of the new Testament. There's some traditions that they trace back, uh, to like the earliest days of, christianity as far as i don't remember off top of the hand off top it of depends hand. Yeah. as as the historian in the room um the, the problem with john is a lot of what's written in john is not multiply attested uh unlike the synoptics and then q and then l and other documents uh that we we can we can basically confirm the historicity of jesus sayings within those documents but john is unique in that it's the only source uh, and so without that multiple attestation, we can only assume okay. that yeah. um, what's written in John is traditions that were passed down orally and eventually written down later because they weren't in the original synoptic gospels. But there's no definitive way of making that claim. It's, it's, it's more of a historical assumption with what information we have. So I have one last question. Sure. And I think this is going to be an easy one. You don't have to give it nuance. Pineapple. What were the Nephilim? <laughs> what <are you> <laughs> Hold on. Shut the stream off. We're done here. <laughs> I have heard so many conflicting, uh, you know, uh, descendants of Seth's family. And then, no, that's not really what it really was talking about giants of the earth. And then uh, I'd heard that I'd read something that said that um, 
I'm not sure which. I actually did a whole series on this. <laughs> did you? I, you know what? I might have read it. Uh, one was, I mean, watched it. Uh, it's been a while. It's, I don't get on TikTok that much anymore. Um, I I would like to. I just kind of... I. ADHD, man. We're busy, you know, man. We get it. <laughs> well, I just lose interest. I mean, it's with TikTok itself. But so I, one of you guys may have said it, or I read it somewhere that uh, they actually believe that demons were just the offspring of the Nephilim, or uh, that's a yeah, that's a very common Perry Stone teaching. Um, that modern demons are the disembodied souls of the offspring that resulted from angels and humans mating. Um, no. So uh, the Nephilim in, in Genesis six are mentioned as, as a deviation from the primary plot. It's, it's almost a side thought, uh, not, not necessarily a side thought, but, but kind of a, keep this in the back of your head. Um, you know, so the, the whole Genesis chapter six, it, it, it explains, okay, so man is beginning to increase on the earth. Uh, the sons of the rulers are taking forcefully wives from the daughters of men. Um, and then it breaks away and says the Nephilim were on the earth at this time. And then it continues on with the rest of the narrative. And it's like, okay, so then what are they? Right. It's a, it's a great question. Um, now, a lot of your Christian uh, watchers may note that I said the sons of the rulers. Uh, that is because that is how that is understood in Hebrew. Um, it's, it's, you, you'd be pretty hard pressed to find a scholar who holds hard and fast to the interpretation that it says sons of God. Um, mm. some, some, some may allow room for that interpretation, but they still lean very hard at sons of the rulers. And the reason for this is because the, the phrasing there is Beneha Elohim. Okay. So there's, the definite article ha effectively changes how we understand the word Elohim at that point, because up until this point, God is pretty much referred to just as Elohim, just straight up Elohim. That's it. Right. But so sons of B'nai sons of ha Elohim, the Elohim. Well now Elohim has an article prior to it. So now, now we've got to understand what it means a little differently because it's a deviation from um, the precedence that we have of how it's used. And it is used all throughout scripture, not just as God, but also as powers, as rulers. Um, it's, it's used uh, as judges even, um, which is Jesus uses it in that, in that instance, when the Pharisees accuse him of making himself God, we read that in English. Well, based on the passage that Jesus tells them at that point, we know what Hebrew word he said. He said Elohim, uh, which could just as well mean judge or ruler. And in the context that he's quoting, it actually does mean judge. Um, so the sons of the rulers or the elite class at this point are forcefully taking the, the women of the poor class uh, as wives. And that's how the narrative is, is laying out. And then it says the Nephilim are, are on the earth at this time. The Nephilim, um, so Nephilim literally translates as uh, the fallen in the plural tense. Um, nephal means to fall. That's literally what it means. It's a verb. Uh, so Nephilim being used as a noun in the plurality just means the fallen or the fallen ones. Right. Uh, so I would contend that the Nephilim are themselves the fallen angels. Oh, 
the angels that aren't talked about until reservation uh, until revelation reservation <laughs> revelation well, depending or, on whether or not you've considered the pseudopigrapha to be authoritative or not uh not talked about again until enoch <laughs> right so we'll leave it on that note uh <laughs> next time maybe uh instead of putting you guys on the spot so much we'll nail down a topic and I just kind of wanted it to be free flowing, and I just I had to throw some little hardballs out there. No, I uh, perf- I actually prefer this sort of freestyle lions. Okay, and sweet. Yeah, like well, yeah, I try to keep it around an hour a little bit because uh, I have a short attention span, and so I assume everybody <laughs> else does. Well, maybe if I show my hand again, it'll get their attention. Oh, back. There we go. <laughs> it's rated R again. Uh, Demonetized. I, I would definitely like to have you guys back on. I heck, I mean, even make it a regular thing if you want. I mean, it's. Uh, I am just super fascinated and intrigued with how Judaism uh, really underlies Christianity. Uh, so almost antithetical to a lot of what we hold today uh, if um you're a man of philosophy right you said i pretend to be well uh, all philosophers are <laughs> pretends let's be real <laughs> so, so seamus uh which philosophy of his history do you hold to oh philosophy of history wow yeah, so, now what is your philosophical position in history because there's not one no, there isn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Philosophy's your philosopher too, Seamus. It's, it's natural. So when you when you study history in biblical in the biblical narrative, you naturally um, have to study theology of the ancient mind, yeah. uh, and so and then you have to apply that theology in your interpretation of what's going on historically, because that's how it affected them in that way, and so you have to adopt it for yourself in order to make your your um i don't want to say assumption because uh, but but a lot of uh, unfortunately a lot of uh, historical uh accounts are sort of assumptive in a certain sense um but uh okay yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah no, go ahead no i was just gonna say it just i love when people not that you were, but when people say stuff about philosophy, I'm like, and you're doing philosophy. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I do. I study a lot of Jewish philosophy because I have to, yeah, in order to understand the first century mindset. You gotta have the, the paradigm, man. You gotta have uh, the paradigm and the different angles. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I don't consider myself a philosopher in that, uh, and by that I mean basically I, I study the philosophy itself, but I don't ponder the philosophy a lot i, I usually you're learn being it. a philosopher <laughs> i usually learn it accept it as a fact and then interpret what's happening historically through that lens yeah. and then pass that information down solely as as it is what, what it is like i'll say hey this is what first century jews believed whether you believe that or not is entirely up to you i don't know if i believe that but this is what they believe right and that's kind of how All i right. present a lot of my information but i definitely you can't not do philosophy if you're going to study history. That's right. just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to find that you got to, you know, I mean, do you take a Bayesian approach or do you take uh, inference to the best explanation? Do you take, uh, you know, it's just explanatory scope, but what is, uh, you know, so you got to figure out which of all of it, maybe a little bit of all of them. Is so how are we- you familiar with the documentary hypothesis in, in old Testament writings? I just heard about that the other day. That was the uh, first uh, I heard. Can you 
run through it real quick? It's uh, long story short. It's more or less uh, that the Torah was actually a compilation. Oh, of, oh, uh, yeah, that it was multiple writings and right. Over multiple, yeah, okay, yeah. And so they divide it into like the priestly writings and then the historical right. writings. And so like there's this idea that certain parts of the Torah were definitely written by priests because of the wordings that's being used and, and the style of the writing. Um, and sometimes they are inserted within other books. And so like Genesis will have bits and pieces of priestly quote unquote writings and, and so on and so forth. Same with Exodus. Uh, Leviticus is basically almost all priestly writing. Um, but it, yeah, it's this kind of idea that everything's kind of pieced together from, you know, over time. Uh, and there, I can't remember the name of the philosophy that, uh, of history that, that follows that same sort of pattern. Uh, I, even though I don't subscribe to the documentary hypothesis, I think it's like Humes is his name. The Hume, if I'm wrong, I may be wrong. So uh, people in the chat, please correct me. Uh, correct me. Humes, uh, I believe, uh, the historian philosopher that basically believes <clears throat> that, uh, all of history is affected by history. And so sometimes, because of the history that other people are aware of, whether it be true or not, that affects the way they view their present and it affects the way we view history. And so sometimes there are multi layers and different additions and inserts that come with that kind of philosophy. Uh, and a, a great example of this is Josephus. He sometimes repeats himself thrice for the same uh, uh, event. And he gives different details of that event, so much so that a lot of early historians thought he was writing about three completely different accounts entirely. Um, and then later recent scholarship has shown that he's actually writing about the same account, just in three completely separate ways. And so we thought for a long time that they were dated differently, but they actually ended up being dated the same day. Uh, and, and that's kind of like the idea behind that particular philosophy of history is you're trying to piece everything together, knowing that man is fallible that there's that right. there's different sources that you're using and you're kind of really just puzzling what you can with what you do know and then you have to and there's no way around it you have to make an assumption with what information you're given because you're not going to be given 100 percent of the information right well i do want to say thank you guys so much for coming on here and sharing all of that with us and brad i will let you plug your you guys this stuff uh give you the last word oh yeah kick you guys off the screen <laughs> <laughs> so you can you can find us on youtube uh alternate media alternate spelled a-l-t-a-r-n-a-t-e uh, and then media we're also on patreon both of us individually are on tiktok um i feel like there's one other one oh apple apple podcasts we're also there um sweet so yeah big time <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys so much i'm gonna see everybody out of here you guys can if you gotta go you can go if you want to hang out in the backstage i'll be back there in a moment sure all right, all right. thank you oops cut him off sorry about that Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> bye-bye everyone <laughs> wait a minute hold on i gotta bring you back for a second Oh well, it will, oh there we go. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, sh I should have known that as soon as I hit either one of you. It was like 
50-50 shot. Somebody was going to talk. <laughs> all, I, all I was just going to say was thanks for having us on because uh, you gave Brad the last word. So I was like, maybe I can say like, hi, thanks. But that... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Thanks. You're going on first again, Seamus. Just so there's no. No, this so I'm, I'm, I'm first kidding. now. No, I'll kick Brad off first. No, okay. <laughs> Get rid of me. <laughs> Strike me off the screen. All right. You guys be good. Play me off, Johnny. <laughs> Oh, there we go. Brad and Seamus, alternate media. That was fun. I enjoyed the conversation. I tried to pick their brain for every hard possible question that I've been dealing with. And I got some satisfactory answers. I'm definitely uh, a lot of resources to go look at so I can learn something. Thank you, everybody, for coming out and watching. I had... uh, Michael Jones with Inspiring Philosophy that was coming on before uh, we uh, had to take some personal time away. I am working with him to try to get him back on or get him on as soon as possible. That was the next scheduled show. Uh, I have a couple others out there that I'm waiting on confirmation on. So I also have my first video editing that I'm going to be doing. It's a kind of a docudrama series where I interview people on the streets, particularly those from the streets, about their ideas on God and what God means to them if they believe in God. Uh, And if not, uh, just how they feel in general about it. So I plan to, I've been working through this one. It's, It's a lot of work, but... Uh, should be here next day or so. So look for the premiere for that. And I think you guys will definitely enjoy it. At least I hope you do. So thank you, everyone. Have a good evening. (laughs) 